Good morning, church. It's good to be back together, and we believe that in our time coming together, God is here in our midst, and His presence is what we are looking for. So today we will see how God wants us to be just like Issachar. Issachar is one of the tribes of the 12 sons of Jacob. So Issachar is um, number five. And we will see that uh, Issachar has a special trait or character that we can learn from. They have an eye to see, even seeing far beyond the present circumstances. And Issachar is being pictured just like a donkey. A donkey who was so common in those times, and they used donkeys for transport for everything. And mostly, donkey is bearing burdens. So Issachar, the tribe of Issachar is being described as this donkey. So we'll see that um, this year in 2023, I think I need help with the next slide. 2023, we have the direction from our senior pastor. It's about how we need to focus in looking ahead. Focus is very important. If we don't see, we don't know what we are doing. When we see something real, really clear in front of us, it will give us perspective. And now it's very important for us, every one of us, not only the speaker, but each one of us, we have an eye to see what God wants us to see. It's not just by us hearing the message, but personally seeing with our eyes, seeing the hope, seeing the end of what we are going. So let's open up our Bible first in Genesis 20, 49, verse 14 until 15. So in this month of April, what do we see? We see rest in pleasant land. This is the same just like the people of Israel when they go out from Egypt. They went through the wilderness and in the wilderness, they never know the way. So what happened? God told them at the front of the camp of Israelites should be the ark of the Lord. And the ark of the Lord should walk in front of them. And God says, because you never know the way that we are going to. So the ark of the Lord will lead the way and we will find places of rest. 
So Jesus is leading. This is the picture of the church. We are being taken out of the world. We are being redeemed. We are being ransomed. And then we walk through this world. But in walking through this world, we need his guidance, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God himself. And the purpose of the presence of God is to find rest. So the purpose that God has for your life and my life is to find rest. No wonder every nation on this earth, they are looking for peace. Because they, are, they want to have that rest in themselves. So they are striving after peace. But sometimes peace is just beyond their reach. So let's read in Genesis 49, verse 14 until 15. I'll invite you all to stand up together with me and just read these two verses together. Genesis 49, verse 14, start. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Amen. Please be seated. This word in Genesis 49 is being spoken by Jacob. Jacob said to his children before, before he was dying, he said, come, all my children, 12 of them, come together and listen to me. I will tell you what will happen in the future. So from Jacob, from the father, comes out words, words of blessing, words of prophecy, telling them what will happen to them in the future. So this is how it is supposed to be for us parents. The words of a parent is very powerful. What kind of words do you speak to your spouse, to your children? The words that we speak to them should be a life-giving words. Just like Jacob speaking to his children. And Jacob even speaking of things in the future. So here, what it means to prophesy. Prophesy is speaking about things in the future. And Jacob, of course, he was being led by God. He was being led by the Holy Spirit. So parents, it's, it's such an authority that God put in your mouth. Don't ever speak destructive words. Words that destroy your child. Words that put them down. Or maybe just look down on them. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God is speaking life. And here, Jacob is speaking about Issachar. And it's interesting when you read the words of Jacob that it happened just like what Jacob said. 
you know, finally, after Jacob died, they went out of Egypt. After 430 years, they went out. And after 40 years in the wilderness, they get into the promised land. In the promised land, they divided the land between the 12 tribes. And they divided it by lot. So they cast lot. Okay, what will you get? And it's amazing that the lot that they have, the inheritance of the tribe, exactly matches what Jacob, their father, already told them. So here we read about Issachar, the prophecy for Issachar from Jacob. He says, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. So Issachar, between being a strong donkey, you know, it's a it's a, an, an animal that is very useful. It's not an animal that just sit around, do nothing. But it's an animal that being used in so many different ways by the people of that time. And verse 15, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. And you know, the inheritance that the tribe of Issachar got in the promised land is indeed, is a good lot. It's just right under the Sea of Galilee. Now when you are just right under there, wow, that's a fertile soil. That's a good place. That's a productive place. So they got an inheritance that is pleasant. And when Issachar saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, what does he do? He says he gave himself as a forced labor. You know forced labor is somebody that is not being paid. It's a forced. It's like a tax. You are forced to pay. You don't get a wage. But Issachar was willing. So let's look how this come to be with this tribe. Number one, how we can have the eyes as Issachar, we need to look to the reward. The word Issachar itself, it means there is recompense. He will bring a reward. And that's exactly what Jacob said. Issachar saw in the future. Issachar saw the rest. Issachar saw that there is a reward. Pleasant land. And those who are What we learn from the wisdom, from the school, maybe, you know, you learn that you have to set a goal. You don't just work for today, but you have a goal. What do you want to accomplish in 5, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? If you don't have that goal, you do not have that vision, then what you are doing now 
is just haphazard. Just whatever I do, I do. But if you have a vision of a goal, what you do now, it matters because of that goal. What you do now, it's building towards that goal. And we need to have this one thing, that every word, every word that we speak, every action that we do, it's all will be rewarded. Either good, either bad. All that we do, all that we speak, it will be accountable. So wherever, at home, in the workplace, in the church, when you are on the street, whatever you speak, whatever you do, so God will not judge by your belief. Okay, you believe me? Pass. No. You can believe God, but your behavior does not believe in Him. We can say, I believe you, Lord. But when it comes to have faith, when it comes to prayer, none. By our action, we are telling God, I don't believe you, Lord. So God will judge by our action and our word, not by what you believe. Because what you really believe will come out through your action. So just have this Understanding that one day, everything that we do, all our lives, will be rewarded. So every good thing that you do, even when no one sees, God sees. When you pray inside a closed door, no one sees, God sees. And he will reward it. He will bring a recompense. So let's read from Second Peter. Peter say in verse one, chapter one, verse ten and eleven. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail, never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are encouraged, we are admonished to diligently confirm. That means it's not only one time. Okay, one time I do my confirmation. That's what you do when you go to a flight. You take a flight, you have to confirm. But here, when it says diligent to confirm, it means you are diligently, you know, you make sure, not only one time, but you will come back again and again and again, diligent. 
to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do that, you will never fall. That means, it means there are people that do not confirm and thus result in their falling to enter into the kingdom of God. You can read that in Hebrews 6. That's a plain example that some people who have started well made a good beginning, but they do not end up well. So God says you have to be diligent to, con to confirm for if you practice these qualities. What are the qualities that we need to practice in order to confirming diligently? So let's read from verse 5 until 7. These are the qualities that we need to practice. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So God is saying that we need to keep growing. When you have faith, you believe in Jesus, that's good. But you don't stop there. You need to add virtue. Your life to do good things, good works. If you say you believe in God, then you need to be good. That's not enough. You need to have knowledge. Have we know God? God is limitless. Even if you finish reading the Bible, you cannot say, I know God already. When you read again, you will find new things. You will get to know Him in a new way. Doesn't matter you read the Bible twice, three times, ten times, you will get to know Him even more. So knowledge, and with knowledge, you need to have self-control. What's the use of having knowledge, having faith? But we cannot control our emotion, we cannot control our passion, we cannot control our desires. All break loose. So self-control is what we need to add from faith, going out virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. When we are being molded like Jesus, you need to be steadfast. Stay until the mold is really taking shape in your life. Steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection, and the top is love, unconditional love. No matter what people do to you, no matter what people say to you, you still love. Love, even though that's 
unconditional love. If we practice this, if we are diligent to go keep clamping up to love, that's why God doesn't ask many things. He only asks two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments, if we learn, learn to love. And what is love? Number one, love is patient. I'm sure we all still need to learn to be patient. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 13, all the list of love. And number two, what we learn about Issachar from Genesis 49. After he looked to the reward, and then what happens? Point two, willing to bear the burden. You know, one of the beast of burden that people know is donkey. Donkey is not, you know, the, the stature is not too big, so it's easy, you know, to put things, put down, and they are gentle, and they can, you know, when you see a donkey being put, so many burdens, stacks and stacks of burden. He did not protest, but he just yielded. He accepted. And many times when people go up to the mountain, they use animal of burden to carry all the things that they need to carry up to the mountain, maybe carrying the tent, all the gears, everything, because it's all heavy and they use animals. And one of the animals that they use is donkey. So donkey has a step that is, you know, can go up. The step is sure-footed. It's not slipping when it's going up the difficult places. And just like what I said before in verse 15, when he saw the reward, he put his shoulder, he stretched his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. This is an image, an image that, you know, forced labor. You don't get any wage from that. But this donkey is willingly putting himself down and carrying the burden. When you see this picture, because he saw a resting place, because he saw a reward, that's why he is willing at the present time, even when it's going through pain, it's okay, I do this because I am going there. 
but I am looking to the reward. And this is exactly the picture of Jesus. Let me read from Hebrews 12, verse 2 until 4. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus was looking at the joy that was before before him, before his eyes, and the joy was with the Father. And because of that, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the same picture we get from Jesus. Who was Jesus? Jesus was the Son of God. He doesn't need to suffer all these things. All this suffering is for you and me. It's not for his own sake, but because he wants to see the joy that was with the Father. What is the joy of the Father? To see his creation, to see the human being that he created, to come into communion in love with the Father, to be reconciled with the Father in heaven with the Creator God. So there was a joy in the Father's heart. And there is no other way for that joy to be fulfilled unless He go through this suffering. So Jesus was willingly, just like is a car giving his shoulders to bear the burden and Jesus was willingly giving his shoulders to bear the cross and you know his back was like is being described in Isaiah was like being a soil that was being plowed being turned upside down his back was like that. So he was willingly to give his back to bear. Whom did he bear? When he was carrying that cross, he remembered you in his mind. He remembered me in his mind. None of himself but it's for you and for me. So, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And God is calling us, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So we need to learn to despise shame. Oh, I cannot say sorry. 
I'm ashamed to do that. Why should I say sorry? Why do I have to apologize? You know, when I was little, I remember the first time I had to go over and say, I'm sorry. I just remember that. That wasn't, I was very little, but it was at first, it, it's not that easy to say, I'm sorry. And the way of taking up the cross is we learn how to despise shame. If we want to get the joy, if we want to get the rest. And Jesus, he says, he endured such hostility. So, Every time when we go through difficult thing, remember Jesus. Meditate upon the cross. Commune with the cross. And in communing with Jesus and his cross, you will have strength to despise the shame, to endure knowing that when you endure there is a reward and jesus said in your struggle against sin you have not yet shed your blood so be encouraged jesus have taken up the bulkiest burden for him and we just maybe carry our cross is not comparable to his cross And he promised in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, in this picture, exactly the same. If you want to find rest, you need to be willing to bear the yoke. Now, maybe we say, well, isn't it? The one without the yoke is more free. The one without the yoke is, you know, carefree, can find rest. But Jesus said, if you want to find the rest that you have in me, not the rest that you imagine, because the rest that Jesus gives is in our inner being. You can have peace with all people, but if your heart is not at rest, you still cannot rest. Who can settle the rest in our heart only God only God can remove guilt only God can give us clear conscience people may not know but we are dealing with our conscience who say that see what you did remember that time and it will haunt us the guilt only God, 
Only God can remove the guilt. And that's the rest that he's talking about. And if we want to get his rest, it says we need to take his yoke. There's no other way. And God is saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will not crush you down. It's only for you to learn to walk with me. What is his yoke? I believe God is asking us these two things. The word, meditate on the word and prayer. These two things. And this will be for some people, for many people, a struggle to keep, right? Meditating on his word, praying, talking to God. So let's believe and be willing to take his yoke. And the third one about Issachar. Issachar is a tribe that is trained in wisdom. Let's read from 1 Chronicles 12, 32. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. What happened in this chapter is when David came back to Israel and now David was reigning only on Judah. And then finally all the other tribes came to David and anointed David over the whole kingdom of Israel. And all those tribes that came to David is being recorded from this tribe, how many people came from this tribe, how many people came. And from Issachar is with a note that this tribe, they have understanding of the time. And know, therefore, because they know what time it is, they know what Israel ought to do. And this is one of the traits that very important to understand the time when you are, number one, in a race. Okay, you want to compete. You need to understand the time. You have to be there when the competition began. You cannot miss one day later. When you miss one day, you miss it. And in order to compete, in the race, you have to know the time when to prepare. Otherwise, you are only half prepared and you cannot compete well. So time is very important. And number two, time is very important in a season of war. When you do not know the time, what time it is? Is it time to be aggressive or be offensive? In a war, time is crucial. When to know when to attack 
when to restrain, when to move forward, when to stay. It's very important to know the time. And God is describing our lives as a spiritual warfare. We do not war against flesh, we do not war against people, but we war against the spirit. Between light and dark, this spirit, there is a spiritual war. And we, like it or not, we are in the midst of the war. We choose to be or not, we are in it. And the Bible also say, run the race because God has given us, every one of us, a race to run. So time is very important. That's why so many scriptures in the Bible say, be alert, be alert, be awake. Why? Because only people who are alert and awake, they know the time. When you sleep, you are not aware of those things. And this is the spirit that we have to fight now because the church in the end time is a lukewarm church. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'll just do it like this. It's enough. Not knowing the time. And Jesus say in Luke 12, 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So in other words, God is asking us, you need to know what time you are living right now. You need to know what's going to happen. You know to see the earth and the sky. You have to see what's happened in the spiritual world. And we see all this atmosphere is now coming up. The institution of a family of marriage is now being broken against in so many places. Immorality, violence, war is all on the rise. So look, see, especially see the fig tree, which is the nation of Israel. That's the time that God has. Know the time. Understand what is happening now. And now, the nation of Israel is facing so many fronts against them. Even some of them say it's worse than 67 now 
So we need to pay attention what time we are living now. Ephesians 5, 15 until 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So God is not asking the tribe of Issachar to know the time, but he is asking us, his people, the one who know, who confess to know the Lord, that we need to know the time. If we confess we are his sheep, we need to hear his voice. He says, Look carefully how you walk. Be careful that you walk wisely. How do you walk wisely? When you know the time. Making the best use of the time in other translations, redeeming the time. Maybe we have wasted the time before. God says redeem. Redeem means you buy back time. How? Maybe you spend your past life in all these kinds of things, but God says you can redeem the time in God's time. Bring it to the Lord. He will turn even the bad things into good things for those who love the Lord. Redeeming the time because the days are evil and understand what the will of the Lord is. Let this be our prayer, Lord. Open up my eyes. I want to see. Let my eyes see the reward. And I'm willing to carry the cross. I'm well, willing to carry the burden now. I'm willing to obey now. Because the time is short. Let me ask the musicians to come forward. And let's just prepare our hearts. And if you want to Stand up together with me. Just bring ourselves before God. Acknowledge that we are weak without Him. And time, as the Bible says, the world will come to an end. It's not going to be like this over and over again. But there is an appointed time when it's going to end and it's for us to prepare. Lord, help us to prepare. Lord, we need your power. Lord, we need your help. And Jesus with his cross has made a way for us 